Hi, and welcome to Gospel Mission Church's Sermon of the Week. We're excited that you've chosen to listen to us today, and we pray that as you do, God will meet you right where you're at with His love and grace. Enjoy this week's message. Let's pray. Father, we just sang about fall afresh on us, and so we invite you to do that. Fall afresh on us, Father. For we know if, if you don't speak, our words are just dead. You are the one who is where your word is living and active. Your word is alive. And so we invite you to speak tonight and to speak to us individually and corporately. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, why don't you grab a seat? We've been, uh, for this summer, we've been looking at heroes, heroes in the Bible, and tonight, it was actually kind of interesting when uh, Claude first mentioned it to me and asked if I'd be interested in speaking on a weekend. Um, I hadn't really thought about it that much, and, but it was, it was like, like that, all of a sudden, Boaz came to my mind. I hadn't been reading about Boaz, I hadn't been reading about Ruth, I hadn't been anywhere close to that, but all of a sudden, Boaz came to my mind, and so I figured, okay, let's travel down this road and see where it takes us. So what I'll do uh, first of all, is uh, for those of us who are not familiar with the story of Boaz or Ruth, there's a book in the Bible called Ruth. Uh, I'll first give a little quick uh, snapshot of what the what the book is about, and then we'll see what we can glean out of out of the story. The story takes place in Bethlehem. Uh, I think there's a map. If you could put up that map, if you see the the city Jerusalem, Bethlehem is just to just to the south. West of Jerusalem, that's where the story takes place. There was a family, uh, a famine in the land, and uh, a family by the name of Elimelech and Naomi, it's a husband and wife, had two sons, Malon and Malon. Because of the famine, they decided to take a trip from Bethlehem up through Jerusalem, through Jericho, and then onto the other side of the Dead Sea there. There was, there was a country called Moab at the time, and for some reason there was food there, so they decided to travel out that way. And it uh, took about a week, for anywhere from five to seven days, to make that trip on foot back then. It's actually interesting, not long after they get there, Elimelech dies, leaving Naomi as a widow. The two sons, Malon and Kilion, go on, get married to Ruth and Orpah, about 10 years later, the two sons also die, leaving three widows now. At the time, being a widow was not a good thing. Uh, it's not a good thing now either. Uh, don't go there. But at the time, that basically meant uh, if you were a widow at that time, that would very often mean that you could be kicked out of your home potentially and that uh, basically like a homeless person, and you would hope that you would get enough food to survive, actually. There was really no future for you. So uh, being a widow at the time was a pretty serious thing, and Ruth hears that there's, or sorry, not Ruth, Naomi hears that there's food back in Bethlehem, where she grew up, or where, uh, what, which was her home. So she decides to take the journey and come back to Bethlehem, and so she starts to leave. The two daughter-in-laws... Ruth and Orpah say, well, we're going to go along. You're, you're our mom now. So they start traveling, and Ruth turns around and says, why don't you girls go back? 
if you come back to Bethlehem with me, uh, I can't promise you any future in Bethlehem. You might find somebody that there, we, we don't know, but Naomi says she's too old to have sons to provide a husband for the two women. It's too late now, so she says to them, why don't you go stay back in Moab, that's your home, go back to your families, and hopefully God will be good to you and find a husband for you, and then you have a life again, a future again. So Orpah says, okay, and so she turns around after much weeping is hard for her as well. She turns around and says, okay, I'll go back. Ruth is the one who says uh, this famous quote that we've probably heard quite a few times is, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. And so Ruth figures, okay, well, Ruth, Naomi. Naomi figures, okay, with that said, Ruth, Let's go. So the two of them now, Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, travel back to Bethlehem and settle down. And they arrive there in the, mid, in the middle or right in the beginning of the barley harvest, which was about mid to late April. That's when they arrive back there. Uh, so because they're coming back, there's two widows now, and they need food to eat, just like we do. Usually I eat at least a couple of times a day so I can stay alive. Uh, they back then had the same issue. They needed to food to eat. So N- Ruth says to Naomi, you know what, uh, let me go out into the fields. It's harvest time. They're, the combines are out in the field. The combines looked a little bit differently back then. Uh, let me go out into the field and let me glean some stuff out of the fields. And I think I have another picture there for that one. This was a little bit more what it looked like back then uh, with a uh, sickle and a scythe like that harvesting back then so sometimes it was just a little handheld machine that they do this bend down and cut it and then make sheaves out of that sometimes it was like that and uh, God had told the Israelites previously to this years before this already God had told the Israelites when you harvest make sure that you leave the edges of the fields and anything that you drop as you're gathering your, your wheat or your barley or whatever it is that you're harvesting, as you gather it, if stuff falls to the side or just falls, don't pick it up. The edges and the stuff that falls out of the harvester's hands, that is for the poor, the widows, and the foreigners or the aliens at the time. They're called aliens. Now aliens has a different meaning. But uh, that's for them to pick up and to eat so they can stay alive. And so Ruth is wanting to cash in on that deal. So she goes out to the fields, finds uh, a field, and it belongs to Boaz, who is one of Elimelech's, Naomi's former husband, uh, one of Elimelech's relatives. Boaz comes out to the fields, greets his workers, asks who that young woman in the field is, and uh, is told by his foreman that, that is Naomi's daughter-in-law. And uh, so then Boaz goes to Ruth and says to Ruth, hey, why don't you just stay in my fields? I know you're in a hard time. Uh, stay in my fields, stay with my servant girls who are also picking up stuff, and I'll make sure that you have a good supply of barley during the harvest. Uh, Ruth is surprised because that was not always the reception that, uh, that widows like that received. Uh, sometimes they were abused physically or at the very least driven off. Uh, it wasn't always a good scene there. So Ruth 
Ruth says, like, why are you being so kind to me? And Boaz turns around and says, and by the way, uh, the water jars that are there for my workers, help yourself to as much water as you want. That is for you as well. And then Boaz says, it's because I've heard of what you've done, how you left your home country, Moab, came back to take care of Naomi. So that Ruth is surprised and but takes advantage of that. At mealtime, Boaz invites Ruth to come. Hey, why don't you join us? We've got food here. Join us and eat from our food. And Boaz gives her enough, more than enough. She can't eat it all. So she tucks some away in her clothes and takes it back home. And when she threshes her, her gathering for the day, she ends up having what is called an ephah or ephah at the time. It was about 40 pounds of barley after harvesting. She had about 40 pounds of harvest, which is enough food. Uh, at the time, that was about as much grain ration as they would give a male worker for a full month. So in one day, Ruth has gleaned that much. Naomi, when Ruth comes home, Naomi is surprised. Like 40 pounds or an ephah, like where, where were you? And so Ruth says, well, the guy's name is Boaz. And... Uh, Ruth says, Arnoima says, ah, Boaz, I remember him. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Let me explain kinsmen redeemers. Kinsmen just means basically a relative. So there was another law, Old Testament law at the time, where God had said, if there's a widow on the land or a family in the land that has, an, that has some sort of financial or social or judicial, or legal issue of some sort, it is the family's responsibility to take care of that widow or orphan or family. The extended family was to gather around that, that individual or group of individuals and take care of them. And for a widow, that was particularly the case. Take care of your, your kids, or your relatives, that is. And so... Naomi says, Boaz is actually one of our kinsmen redeemers. He is actually responsible to take care of us. So, we'll, we'll see where that goes yet. This percolates a little bit in Naomi's mind. Uh, they finish the harvest, uh, they finish the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, which takes them from mid to late April all the way to mid to late June. Once they're done harvesting, Boaz is still in his fields and he's now winnowing. Winnowing was a little something they had, they had harvested the wheat, slush, uh, sledged it out with a combine that was basically a long stick with a little loose uh, stick tied to the end and you would just whack it onto these piles of, of wheat or barley. That was their combine at the day. And then they'd take the straw and throw it away, but there's lots of straw left in these kernels, right? So they would take the kernels, and on a windy day, they would hold them high and drop them, and the wind would blow away the chaff, leaving more of the kernels itself to fall on the ground and being a pure lump of food. Boaz is doing that. Naomi says, Ruth, Boaz is our kinsman redeemer. Let's cash in on the deal. Let's go... Let's go get you dressed up, take a shower, take a nice hot shower, make sure you're completely clean, perfume yourself, put on the best clothes you got, and then tonight, in the evening, 
We know Boaz is winnowing. He's, he's going to be tired. He's going to go to the end of his pile, of grain pile there, and he's going to fall asleep. Once he's asleep, I want you to go to him, uncover his feet, take the blanket off of his feet, lie down at his feet, and put the blanket back over you. And I explained what that meant. So Ruth goes and says, I'll do that. And she, she actually does that. Boaz is exactly like they said Boaz is winnowing the deal the day is done he eats and he drinks he's tired he goes to the end of his pile lies down and sleeps during the night he all of a sudden wakes up and finds this woman at his feet like surprise and he asks who are you and Ruth says I am Ruth your servant Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are my kinsman redeemer. And so Boaz, well, basically Ruth is saying, you're my man, I want to cash in on this deal. And uh, Boaz is pleased, actually, with this. He likes this, and his response is, this kindness is greater than that which you've shown earlier. That's his Boaz response. This is during the night, so and, and as you can tell, like sometimes when, when you'd have uh, a man in, in the field and a woman coming to him that doesn't necessarily give the best picture, so before sunrise, it's still completely dark, people can't even see who who is. Naomi, or, sorry, Ruth gets up, and she runs back to town and says, tells Naomi everything that happened. Because Naomi is curious. And then uh, Naomi's response is actually kind of funny. We'll get back to that one yet a little bit later. Uh, in the meantime, Boaz gets up, and he's in a rush, and so he comes and he runs to town as well. But before he does that, oh, I forgot one little detail there. Sorry, let me backtrack. One little detail, a very important detail. When Ruth and Boaz are chatting during the middle of the night, uh, when Ruth says, I want to cash in on the deal, Boaz says, I'll do that, but there's somebody else who is actually closer related than I am. He has first dibs at, at that, being the redeemer. And then, and then he responds, but we'll take care of it. So when Ruth comes back to Naomi, uh, she, she addresses that, and Boaz, in the meantime, then in the morning, goes back to town, calls this other guy who is closer related closer in relation to Naomi and Elimelech, calls an additional 10 elders from the town and tells this guy, hey, by the way, Naomi is selling her land. You're close, you should buy the land. The guy says, all right, she's a widow, the land is mine. Boaz turns around and says, the day you do that, you have to marry Ruth because that's part of the deal. And then he says, oh, okay, hey, hands off. No, I'm not doing that. If I do that, my own estate is in jeopardy. I don't know if I can do both mine and theirs. So, no, I'm out. Boaz, you take care of it. Boaz says, done. You guys are all witnesses. Today I'm buying Naomi's land, and I'm taking Ruth as my wife. And then we have, I believe there's a little picture of a family tree here. 
We have Boaz and Ruth. They, have, they get married. They have a son, Obed, who is father to Jesse, is to father to David. And I want to go back a little bit up to the top. You have Salmon and Rahab as being the parents of Boaz. So before we dig into what all of that means, that, that's the story of Ruth, by the way, in a nutshell. Before we dig into what it all means for us, uh, there's a quotation that I'd like to show to you that I think is very important in our time today. Uh, I want you just to chew on that for a little bit. Every intention and promise from God is an invitation for us to become involved in, to become and be involved in something greater than we could ever be or do ourselves. Every intention and promise from God is an invitation for us to become and be involved in something greater than we could ever be or do ourselves. Let's keep that on our back burner for a little bit. There are four things that I think we can draw from Boaz's story. The first one, if, uh, first one that I want to draw your attention tonight, to tonight is that Boaz promoted God's principles. He talked about God's principles. We find him doing that as he greets his workers. His greeting, by the way, is the Lord be with you. It wasn't just a, hey, good evening, guys, or good morning, guys. It was, the Lord be with you. That was his greeting. We see that in the way uh, Boaz talks with, uh, with his workers when, he's, when, he, when they're talking about Ruth. He actually goes on when Ruth is in the field. He says to his workers, don't embarrass her. A step further, rather than embarrassing her, while you are gathering up the barley, I want you to, on purpose, take some stuff out and drop it for her to pick up. So he's saying that to his workers. He's also promoting God's principles as he's speaking with Ruth. Ruth is both a poor and a foreigner. This was not her home. And so he tells her to stay in his fields, drink from his water, um, that he will protect her as long as she's with, with his workers on his fields. He will make sure that she's protected. And then he actually takes it a step, step further and he blesses Ruth for responding to God's principles. He, he blesses Ruth. And then he also blesses Ruth when, he's, uh, when Ruth proposes to him. This is this kind of a little backwards story back then, but R- Ruth basically proposed to Boaz, and he says, his response, I already read it, uh, this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. So Boaz is actually blessing and speaking God's principles over Ruth as he speaks to Ruth. That's the first thing, God, uh, Boaz promoted God's principles. The second one that I would like to focus on a little bit is uh, Boaz acted on God's principles. Not only did he speak about God's principles, he also acted on those principles. And we see that in the way he act, interacted with Ruth. Like I just mentioned, he makes room for her on, on his fields. That was not always done. Uh, not all the, uh, the landowners made room for other people. He supplies her with his water and food. He protects her. He throws out extra barley. And by the way, just a little footnote, his foreman, Boaz's foreman, already knew that Ruth was welcome on the field before Boaz ever arrived. 
There's a, the, the workers are starting the harvest in the morning. Ruth is there in the morning, and she's been working. We don't know how long, but it's been a while. And then, then Boaz shows up, and the foreman says, she's on your field, and she's been there all day already. So the foreman, for however that happened, we don't know, but the foreman already knew this is Boaz's field. If there's a stranger coming out, that stranger is welcome on this field because this field belongs to Boaz. Boaz welcomes foreigners and poor people. So the, the foreman already knew that. One thing that I found interesting is in Naomi's response when, when Ruth rushes back after the night at the, at the harvest field and, and when, uh, after she's proposed to, to Boaz. And there's a verse that I like to pop up. Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. This is Naomi speaking to Ruth. Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled next year. No. No. Until the matter is settled today. He acted like that. And Naomi knew that. Boaz has heard. Naomi says, ah, before the day is over, watch, watch Ruth. Before the day is over, you will get some news. It was a different proposal back then. Think of it. Boaz is winning on his field. He's tired, sleeps. Comes li- Ruth comes and lies down, awakes to find a woman at his feet, asking for financial help and for his hand in marriage because that's what a kinsman redeemer basically was. Financial help kin- uh, and marriage. And Ruth, re- uh, sorry, Boaz responds. This is the middle of the night. Boaz responds, okay, Give me 24 hours. And the thing is, it's not 24 hours to think about it. It's 24 hours to actually go and do it. 24 hours. Just to put this into context a little bit, this was what God had actually also ordained or commanded earlier in the Old Testament. We, we find that God had told the Israelites, if there is a widow in the family... It is the family's responsibility to take care of that widow. And the way to do it was to make sure that the family tree of that widow would continue to live. So now Elimelech, the husband, is dead. Both their sons, Melon and Kilion, are dead. That's, that's harsh, isn't it? Sorry. But that was the case. They're, they're both gone, leaving three widows, Naomi and Ruth are not together. And God has said, if that is the case, it is the kinsman redeemer's job to go get the land, not to buy it for himself. The Israelites back then viewed land not the way we do today. Today, like, uh, I look at my yard. My wife and I, we have a title for our property. It's, it's our land. Back then, it wasn't the case the Israelites viewed land as a gift from God. When they moved into Canaan, the promised land, God had said, give them each tribe a chunk of land. And so the Israelites viewed it as a gift from God, kind of like what we view a lease today. I've got this vehicle or this land, and I can use it, but the, at the end of the term, it's not my land. I am just allowed to use it. It's God's land. And because it's God's land, the Israelites could not sell it. 
It was wrong for an Israelite to sell their land. They couldn't. It's God's land. All that the Israelites could sell was the ability to use the land, not the land itself. And so it was now Boaz's responsibility to take that land. First of all, he had to pay to get that land so he could use it. And then once he had, once he had access to that land, then he had to go, in this case, marry Ruth, have a son, and when that son, in, in this case, Obed, when that son is of age, all that land goes back to Obed and Boaz is back out of the picture. Does that make sense? I'm paying money. I'm getting extra mouths to feed and I don't know what condition they're all in. Now I have to take care of this, this lady, this widow, and everything that she has, plus mine, and I have to make sure that I invest my stuff into that property and that family that they will succeed, and once they're on their feet, then I cut all ties, I get no benefits from them. That's what Boaz is actually asked to do. And he jumps into this before the day is over, 24 hours. Again, not to think about it, but to actually do it. Uh, and just, just for clarification here, I am talking about how quick Boaz was to respond to what God had told him. I'm not talking about the book that he wrote later on called Single to Forever in 24 Hours. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. That's a joke, okay? <laughs> he never wrote a book like that, okay? What I find interesting is that Ruth or, or Naomi already knew that Boaz was this kind of a man. Naomi knew that uh, because there's a verse... In Ruth chapter 2, verse 20, there's a verse that where Naomi is talking and she says, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Remember, Ruth and Naomi, well, this is Ruth's first experience in, in the tropical Bethlehem. Naomi used to live in Bethlehem 10 years earlier. And so now she says, he has not stopped. In other words, Naomi knew that 10 years ago, Boaz was kind to the living and the dead. Naomi remembers that. And she now comes and she hears his response to Ruth's proposal. And Naomi says, ah, it's still the same guy. He's still being kind to the living and the dead. And which he showed in his actions. And one of the questions that I, that I perked my, my mind is, uh, as I thought about this is, how, how could Boaz act so quickly? <laughs> you know, think about it. In 24 hours, there's this woman, 24 hours later, married. Done. How, how, how could he get there where he it was so quick? Today we would call it impulsive and possibly even stupid. Right? Well, there's a third principle I think that Boaz decided to check in on, and that was Boaz believed in God's principles. He believed. God said, I accept. And I'll check into, the little, into that a little bit, this, that idea of Boaz believed. Um, someone has said that faith is belief in action. We don't find anywhere that any mention of, in the book of Ruth, of what Boaz actually believed. 
It doesn't say anywhere, Boaz believed, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't say that anywhere. We can only infer from his words and his actions what he believed. And I think uh, Boaz actually had good reason to believe, as you saw earlier on the, on the family tree, uh, Solomon and Rahab were parents to Boaz. This Rahab is believed to have been the same Rahab who was in Jericho when Joshua marched around Jericho. With that, Salmon, Salmon not Salmon, Solomon is, pro, is believed to have been born sometime when the Israelites were wandering in the desert under Moses. That's when it's believed that he's, he was born. So he, if he was born there, he had the experience of walking through, in flood stage, the dried up river of Jordan when Joshua stopped. Well, it was actually God who stopped the waters and all the Israelites crossed, crossed the land. Solomon is also one of the guys who would have been marching around Jericho seven days, and at the end of the seven days just went, boo, and the whole wall fell down. Uh, th- that was Salmon, right? Uh, Rahab, on the other hand, is, is the girl, a prostitute, living in the wall of that city of Jericho. And she's the one who is in the wall while the Israelites are, watching, are marching around, and she's the one who hangs down a little rope as a, as a sign saying, I believe in the Israelite God. That's why she did it. She hung a scarlet rope down her window, which was a sign, I believe in the Israelite God. And so the whole wall collapsed down except for the section where Rahab is. So Rahab is the one in the wall, and all around her, the wall is... And Rahab's house stays standing. And Rahab is the only recorded survivor along with her family. Everybody in her house are the only recorded survivors of Jericho's fall. Those are the parents of Boaz. And so I think Boaz had heard some stories, some bedtime stories that were kind of interesting. But I think he took it a step further. I think Boaz came to the point where he said, that was my parents' faith. I choose to now own that faith. I believe. Not because of my parents, but I choose to believe. And because he believed, he benefited. And I think that he benefited from, from God's principles. And that's my fourth point is Boaz benefited. And this is the section that uh, we sometimes wish that we could uh, check out. The first three here. The first three uh, points were uh, Boaz promoted, Boaz chose to act, Boaz chose to believe. This fourth point here Boaz benefited. This is not up to Boaz at all. The first three were Boaz's choice. The last one is God's response to Boaz. There's a verse in Second Chronicles 16.9 that says, The eyes of the Lord go around in all the earth looking for people who are faithful to him so that he can make them strong. And I think that's exactly what happened to Boaz. Boaz had no idea what, what, what would turn out, how things would turn out. Like, you can't plan stuff like that, right? You can't plan and say, you know what, I, I, want to, 
uh, yeah, I know I've got Salmon. Uh, he might be a good guy. Rahab, my mom, was a prostitute. Uh, that's okay, but I, I want to be in the line where I will be the great-grandfather to Israel's greatest king ever, strongest king, smartest king, wisest king. Well, maybe not the wisest king. So- Solomon had the say in that too. Uh, but Israel's greatest king. And then more than that, I want to actually be in the lineage of Jesus Christ himself, the Messiah. Like you, you can't plan stuff like that. I believe all that Boaz did is he chose to believe, he chose to talk, and he chose to act. God looked and saw him. He says, okay, that's the man I want to use for this line, for this family tree. That's the benefit. And it actually goes even a little further. Uh, it's so much so that Boaz is actually called a Christ type. Think about it. Boaz actually gives us a picture of what Jesus Christ would do. Ruth was a foreigner. The Israelites were not supposed to marry foreign women. That was a law as well. I don't know how that all jived out with Boaz, but she had become family. She's poor. She's a foreigner. Boaz looks at her. She's supposed to be family now because of marriage, married in. And Boaz responds with speaking words of hope to her, comfort, and says, I will actually give everything I've got to rescue you. I'll put everything I've got on the line so that you will grow, which is exactly what Jesus Christ did for us, if you think about it. That's who Boaz is. So that's a little bit of the teaching part that that kind of bubbles in me a little bit. I, I, I'm a teacher a little bit. But I think there's something that goes beyond that. Um, I think there's some application for us tonight, and I want to focus on those four points a little bit with regards to how does that apply to us? How does that apply to me? So we've got the point. The first point was um, uh, promoting, but I will, what I'll actually do is I'll flip it around because I think before Boaz talked about it, he actually believed in it. And so in our application... The question, one of the questions I have for you is, is, do we struggle with believing? Do we struggle with believing? You know, like, we've heard about God. We read about him. We can see him moving. But have we made the choice to, and this could be, like, at all, or in a specific area, have we made the choice to actually say, okay, God, I believe. In this particular area, I believe. So I think that's, that's one of the, the first applications. The second of it is um, some, of us be, some of us might be struggling with talking about it. You know, like we go to church, we, we'll listen to stuff, we'll, we'll read about him, we'll, we believe in him, but just don't ask me to talk to people about him. Don't, don't ask me where I stand. I, that I might say something that's actually not biblically correct or I, I might, it might become awkward or I, I have to talk. Like just, just let me be quiet. That might be some of us. Some of us might be struggling with the acting, the doing part. And I don't know where you're at, but I believe, I believe there's some people here tonight who actually know exactly what I'm talking about. They've sensed that they should do something very specific, 
They've sensed it already for a while, very specific, but they just haven't come around to actually doing it. And so the question then comes is, at, at what point or where do we go? How do we go about saying, okay, God, you know what? I choose to believe. I choose to talk and I choose to do. Because the, the fourth point, uh, Boaz benefiting, that's not up to us. Uh, this is actually something that can be quite hard is, I know this is where I've been numerous times is uh, I, I've, I tried bargaining with, with God. Okay, God, let's sit down. You know, you have a chair? I'll have a chair. I'll bring out all my cards. I believe in you. I talk about you. I'll act because of you. But I want a say in what kind of benefits you'll give me. Let's, let's make a deal here. And the fourth point is, isn't up for conversation, really. But it's still an invitation. And so if I come back to that quotation that I had before, every intention and promise from God is an invitation for us to become and be involved in something greater than we could ever be or do ourselves that invitation stands tonight. An invitation for all of us to become and be and do something greater than we could do ourselves. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up. There's a, there's a verse in Second Peter 1, verses 3 to 4. There's a couple of verses there. I'd like you to... Check it out on the screen here as well. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. And I want to stop right there. Do you see what, do you see what it says? You may participate in the divine nature. That is an invitation. That is an invitation for us to participate in the divine nature. And it says, the first part of it says, his divine power has given us everything we need. Everything we need, we've got it. It's all dependent on one word, and that is yes to God. It's, it, it hangs on that. It's, it, it depends on our response to God and he's inviting us. You want to be involved in something divine beyond you? All we have to do is say yes and he'll take us there. We don't know what that will look like. Boaz didn't know. Two weeks ago, Brad talked about this a little bit when he was preaching. He talked about how hard it had been for him and Crystal, his wife, to take their newborn baby to a hospital for open, open heart surgery and not knowing whether it would be leaving her there in a morgue or bringing her back home. They didn't know. 
and Brad, Brad talked about this. He said there had, been, there had come a point in their journey where he said, I choose to now stop bargaining and give, it to you, give Avery the baby to you. And Brad and Crystal talk, talked about their encounter with a divine experience. He said, they got that peace. You, you just, how do you explain it? You can't explain it. That is divine encounter. That's divine presence. And we, we have this invitation as well. We have this invitation to, to be involved in the divine nature. So I invite you to stand up, close your eyes. And I want to throw some uh, specific invitations out to you. Hebrews 11.6 says that if we come to him, we believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We believe that. I ask that you close your eyes out of respect for your neighbor. And I would like to invite you if invite you to participate in his divine nature and specifically in the believing part. If you struggle with believing, believing at all that whether Jesus is real, is this Christianity thing real? Can we actually know God? Or believing in a specific area? I invite you to raise your hand and as a response to God, just say, you know what, God, I... I'm making a choice today. I'm making a choice that I will, I choose to believe in you. I see that. I see that. Thank you. Thank you. Some of us may be struggling with acting part. You've sensed already for a while that, that God is asking you or inviting you to do something and you know exactly what it is, but you just haven't come around to actually doing that. Afraid to respond or whatever the reason is, but just haven't come around to actually doing that. I invite you to raise your hand as a symbol to God saying, you know what, I hear, I choose, and I want to respond to you, and I actually want to do what you're asking me to do. I'm ready to give it a shot, Father. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, Father, we want to we want to be more than just living in this world and being caught up with it, Father. We want to go beyond ourselves. Look at this journey that Boaz had and where it went for him. We don't know what it will mean for us, but Father, today we, like, like Boaz and like Brad, we, we choose to say yes to you. We choose to believe. We choose to believe in you, Father. And so, Holy Spirit, you say that you want to be our teacher, and so we invite you, teach us that we may know and believe. Father, we also choose to speak. You say that when we face all sorts of circumstances, we, we're not supposed to worry, worry about what to say and that your Holy Spirit will tell us 
in that moment what to say. And so, Father, we choose to open up our, our mouth and to actually speak and believe that you will say more than what we can say. And we choose to act, Father, as well. Sorry for being so slow to respond to you. Forgive us, God. We choose to act. And as we do that, we ask, Father, that you'd give us clarity, wisdom, and strength so that your will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, Father, we choose to let go. We choose to let go and we, we say thank you that you are a good God, a knowable God, and for inviting us to participate in your, in your divine nature. Amen. Thanks for joining us on the GMC podcast. For more information about what's going on this week, check out gmchurch.ca. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful week.